space can be a tool for maintaining peace, not only in orbit, but also on Earth. This is The Talent Show, a new podcast series from FT Talent, a hub of innovation from the Financial Times, hosted by under-30s for the under-30s around the world. This first series is in partnership with Bocconi University, a leading higher education institution of business and managerial advancements. I am Virginia Stagni, and this is the guide you need to drive innovation and change. Today, we are focusing our gaze to the stars as we are speaking with a space diplomat on the frontier of supporting space exploration. This is for any listener who loves space and wants to learn more about the space economy, space diplomacy and career opportunities in this field. Here is our conversation with Simonetta Di Pippo, Director of the Space Economy Evolution Lab at the Sda Bocconi School of Management, as well as Honorary President and Co-Founder of Women in Aerospace and formerly the Director of the Office for Outer Space Affairs at the United Nations. Thank you so much, Simonetta, for being here with us. It's really a pleasure to have you at the talent show with the Bocconi University. I know you are connected from the Bocconi studio. How are you today? Quite fine. Everything is going well. And thank you very much for having me. We know that you're going to be very inspiring for our audience and our listeners today. We are very curious about your journey. How you got interested in your field? How you started? How was your first fire of curiosity towards your field? There is not a specific moment I can really cherry pick. I can list few moments in my life that may probably have been the recipe for the decision and the choices I made. I was 10 years old when the first two human beings landed on the moon and walked on the moon. And it was really inspiring the sign that humanity can do great things when we use our ingenuity and creativity to foster innovation. At the same time, I was a reader of a lot of different non-science fiction books because up to a certain point in my life, I didn't like too much science fiction. But, you know, Jules Verne and this kind of books. When I was not particularly happy or I had to take some decisions in my life when I was young, and still this is true now, I had this habit of closing myself in my room at home and I was reading and reading and reading and reading. And so I developed quite a strong interest in science, science in general. And so what I knew for sure was that I wanted to find a job allowing me every morning to wake up happy to do what I was doing, and at the same time, something that could have been helpful for me in learning every single day something new. What can I say? I believe I succeeded. You definitely did. But you used keywords that I've been listening from other experts from very different fields and mainly entrepreneurs. So you talked about ingenuity, creativity to foster innovation. You just talk about learning every single day for your field, your expertise, and I guess as well, your teams and your colleagues. What do you think early career professionals that want to build their career in business can learn from astrophysics as well from space, from what is your expertise? If you don't go a little bit in deep details, it may sound strange that an astrophysicist with my background, because 
you know, after the university, I've been working at the European Space Agency as director of human space flight. And then I've been leading the Office for Outer Space Affairs at the United Nations for eight years. From being a scientist, I complemented that part with certain knowledge in management of complex international programs. Then I moved to astro diplomacy. So space diplomacy, how to use space as a tool for maintaining or hopefully maintaining peace on earth. At a certain point in time in my life, I developed, let's say, the idea that now that we are entering in a second phase of the space era, with the private and the commercial blooming of activities, with the fact that there are a lot of technologies which have been developed thanks to public money from government money, now available and mature enough for developing what we call space economy. And allow me to say that when we talk about space economy, this is quite important. The overall set of activities involving not only the classical space sector, which means developing the spacecraft, the launchers and the ground segments, but on top of that is all the value created by the activities developed in terms of services and applications and products thanks to space-based data and infrastructures. The overall value today is estimated at around $470 billion. But we are talking about the so-called trillion economy. Now, you cannot look at the education in this field as it was done in the past. If you are an engineer, if you are a scientist, you do need to have a lot of knowledge in management in creating business plans, work together with all the cultures around the world because science and space is international by definition. So you need to have broad knowledge also of diplomacy. You need to have a bit of knowledge of international space law because you cannot launch a satellite if you don't respect the rules, the treaties, the norms and the principles. If you want to become an expert in the field, I mean, to have success in your activities, you need to have quite a holistic view of the various subfields in space. And that's what we are trying to do here, trying to be really at the forefront of the research that you can do in this field here in Bocconi and School of Management, and also trying to integrate all the disciplines in a cross-cutting way. And this is not done in any other place in the world, at least to my knowledge. And so that's the reason why I accepted the challenge and I decided to join uh, Zdabokoni School of Management. You mentioned something about being astro-diplomat, so space diplomacy. I guess that most of our listeners do not really know what does it mean. Would you be able to explain it to us, please, in, in simple terms? Space diplomacy is an extrapolation of what we call science diplomacy. Most of the experiments, the big experiments, the ones which really advance our knowledge, just an example on Earth, CERN in Geneva, dealing with particles, where you have plenty of countries and so many scientists working together for the same goal in a very peaceful manner. If you extrapolate this concept to space and you look, for example, at the International Space Station, well, the International Space Station is a huge lab in orbit, which means more or less 400 kilometers above our heads, has been built by 14 
countries, by 14 space agencies, the Russians, the Americans, the Canadians, the Europeans, 10 countries through the European Space Agency and the Japanese. And currently, more than 80 countries have been able to perform experiments on board the International Space Station. And you have on a permanent basis, a crew of six individuals who are coming from different countries and they have to work and live together. And they have to work together and support each other. This is an example of how space can be a tool for maintaining peace, not only in orbit, but also on Earth. So it's a sort of a test bench, is a lab for peace, because in a way you have to work together and to support each other if you want to survive. Sometimes you have a Russian reaching the space station through an American spacecraft. And then you have Americans or Japanese or Europeans or Canadians flying with the Russian spacecraft to the space station. If you think about the current situation in geopolitical terms on Earth, and then you compare this with what is happening right now at the same moment on the International Space Station, you see the value of what we call the space diplomacy. On top of that, you have also not only national space agencies and national space programs, but you have a good example in Europe with the European Space Agency, where you have 22 countries working together to advance knowledge thanks to collaborations. It's really intergovernmental, 22 countries. And then if you move to the United Nations, well, you have 193 member states working together. And all the rules, the norms, the principles and the guidelines for maintaining the long-term sustainability of the space environment is really agreed by consensus by all the countries. The same countries whom, which may have not the same position on everything, let's put it like that in very diplomatic terms on Earth. You talked just now about supporting each other. And there is one thing that definitely women have been doing in the last decades a bit more evidently, trying to support each other in the business and scientific field. You definitely have been a leading figure and, of course, professional when it comes to really trying to bridge in the gender gap in STEM and in the space sector. You know, I read and knew about uh, what you have been doing at the UN Office for Outer Space Affairs, where you developed the Space for Women project. If you had it at the beginning of your career, a project like that, would it have helped you? Well, yes and no. The point is that I'm really against any type of discrimination. While I was in Italy at the Italian Space Agency, and I perceived a bit of discrimination being a woman in a male environment, I thought that this was only an issue related to our country. Then I got the position of Director of Human Space Flight and I moved to the Netherlands. Immediately I realized that it was not true, that I was completely wrong. The issue with different nuances, it was the same there. And you know, I moved to the European Space Agency which means that we had more than 22 nationalities because on top of the 22 countries which are members of the European Space Agency, there are also a few associated countries. So there was quite, let's say, a variety 
of cultures and issues, but the issue of gender representation was exactly the same. That's the reason why in 2009, together with a German colleague, the CEO of a company in Germany, we decided to create this Women in Aerospace Europe Association with the main goal of creating a platform for the youngest to be connected with senior and leaders of female gender, but not, not only. The association is open to everyone because, as I said, I'm against discrimination. And so this was very good, not for me or for the founders or for the senior, but was really helpful for the youngest because they could get a lot of advice and hints from us. That's the reason why I say yes and no. I believe that when I started, there was nothing like that. And so you had really to fight, quote and unquote, to find your own way. And in particular, to keep your approach, to keep your style alive and not trying to simulate or emulate the attitude of others, which was probably the most difficult part. But I decided since the very beginning that I didn't want to change any single small element of my approach. Some colleagues of us here at the Financial Times wrote a very interesting piece recently about NASA exploring the possibilities of allowing companies to manufacture items in space, given the fact that, of course, there is a different gravity. Do you think this will happen in the near future? Well, this is the famous made in space, and it's happening already. Fiber optics, for example, are already manufactured in space. Even you can print and cook pizza on the space station with a 3D printer and you can eat pizza in space, made in space. Now, it may sound as a joke, but in reality, again, it's a way for using the International Space Station as a test bench for new technologies, for new way of doing things. And clearly, you may also consider that there is another branch quite extremely important, which is the extraction of resources from celestial bodies. It may be the moon, it may be asteroids in the main belt. I always make the example of an asteroid called uh, 16 Psyche. The estimated value is 70,000 times the current global value of economy, let's say the global economy value right now. Why? Because it's made of gold, there is platinum, and there is quite a good reserve of rare earths, which are extremely important for all the IT tools and uh, objects that we use every single moment in our life. So in reality, space economy, when we talk about becoming a trillion economy, sometimes if all of this is going to happen, well, it's even underestimated. Let's imagine that I'm a student and as many of our listeners are. So one of our listeners might come here to the show and, you know, listen to you and be kind of inspired in terms of that angle that you took on being a space diplomat. But I think it's really, really interesting for our listeners. What would you advise these students should be leveraging on studying at the moment, specifically at the beginning of their expertise, research and then potentially career? As I mentioned already, each of us has to find the main topic of interest so that they can vertically go in the details and have an expertise on a topic. It may be engineering, it may be science. 
finance, of space activities, space law, etc. But then this is not enough because you cannot be a scientist, for example, if you want to launch an instrument on a satellite where for sure you need to have an international team working with you. So you do need to have a bit of diplomatic skills. Then you have to present a proposal as our to a space agency to be approved and to get the money to develop your instrument, which means that you need not only to be a good scientist, but you need also to have a bit of knowledge from an engineering perspective, because then you are going to follow the development of the instruments, which is supposed to provide you with the data you need to do your research. And so at that point, you also need to be able to develop a good business plan and also to manage this international group. And you are not going to launch an instrument, for example, to Mars, if you are not respecting all the planetary protection rules. And so you also need to have a certain experience in international space law. That's just an example to say that whatever field you select, you do need to have a broad understanding of all the other fields. And that's exactly what we want to do as Dabokone. Thank you very much, Simonetta, for sharing this. And as you know, the special part of this talent show here at the Financial Times is having some of the challengers, so early career professionals and students from all over the world, to ask some questions to our experts. We have for you two questions. One is from Francesco and the other one is from Iman. Francesco, over to you. And Simonetta, then it's your time for answers. Hello, my name is Francesco Marchioni and I was a participant of the FD Talent Made in Italy Challenge in 2022. I'm from Italy, but currently living in the US. As an aerospace engineer, I've worked in the space sector in Thales Alenia Space, but I'm currently doing a PhD at Stanford University. My question to Professor Simonetta Di Pippo is the following. The space economy has seen record growth in the last years, fueled by private investors, funds and VCs rushing in to bet on what looks like a rapidly growing and promising market. But do you believe this growth will be sustainable in the long run and will be matched by sufficient demand in space technologies and services, or could this be somewhat of a bubble? I'm glad to be featured in this episode, and I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Thank you. Thanks, Francesco. Well, no, it's not a bubble. I believe it's really uh, sustainable, but it's linked to a certain number of things that need to happen. One is that we do need to maintain the long-term sustainability of outer space. You know that orbits are really congested right now. And even if in 2007, the UN, the Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space, approved the space debris mitigation guidelines, and most of the countries, in particular the biggest spacefaring countries, are really following the rules, I would say 100%, still you can have some troubles. You may have planned everything properly to re-enter your satellite at the end of its lifetime as expected by the space debris mitigation guidelines and something can happen. For example, Envisat, the European Space Agency satellite that is currently tumbling in orbit due to a miscalculation on the amount of fuel on board, for example, or other issues uh, that you may encounter. And this is absolutely mandatory if we want to maintain this blooming space economy. Because if you are an operator in space, you want to be sure that your business plan can be fulfilled 
in operational terms. So if you are expecting that your satellite or your constellation is staying in orbit for, let's say, 10 years, well, you need to be sure that this is going to happen and that your constellation or your satellite or your assets in orbit are not, let's say, put in danger by potential collisions with debris or with other satellites not under control. So space economy is strongly linked to the long-term sustainability of other space activities, which means the private operators are really keen to follow the rules, which is a good element in the picture. So yes, I believe that there is money, the market is there. We need coordinated governance, a global level, a strategy, a global level, and we need to develop the talents we need. Otherwise, with the strategy and with the money only, we cannot do what we need to do. So space economy is strongly linked to long-term sustainability, strategy global level together with governance, and the education of the good talents and leaders of the future in this field. Thank you very much, Simonetta. And from Iman, we got the second question for you. Hello, my name is Iman Sheikh, and I was a participant of the FT Talent Challenge in 2021. I'm currently living in London, which is also where I'm from, and I've just graduated from King's College London with a degree in philosophy, politics, and economics. My question to Professor Simonetta Di Pipo is, how do you see the future of space travel changing? Will commercialization and tourism be a bigger trend? And how do you think future space travel will align with achieving the UN Sustainable Development Goals? Thank you so much, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Thank you, Iman, for your question. And allow me to give you three takeaways. The first one is that there are plenty of studies in the world trying really to see how emission can be reduced when we launch satellite, and this is mainly on the type of fuel that we are going to use. Plenty of studies. So I'm quite confident that this will be taken into serious consideration by most of the operators. Second one, you can monitor the climate crisis and the parameters linked to, you know, the monitoring of what is happening in terms of climate, in terms of, let's say, changing, unfortunately, our world due to the climate crisis. Let's say most of the variables, the essential variables that we have to monitor can only be monitored from space. So without satellites, we cannot really understand what is happening to our planet in terms of global warming and impact of the climate crisis. Last but not least, the use of space for agriculture and for a lot of other topics. And in particular, if you look at the sustainable development goals, you have 17 sustainable development goals and 169 targets. More than 50% of these objectives and these targets can only be achieved with space. In other words, without space, the sustainable development goals cannot be reached. As I said, I could talk 24 hours about these topics, but these are already three important, let's say, pillars of what space can do for sustainable development. Simonetta, thank you so much, because if there is one thing that always amazed me when I have a chance to talk to experts like you, is that you can put in very simple terms over complicated issues and facts. So I really want to thank you for that, Simonetta, and thank you for your time, of course. Thank you for you for having me. 
This has been the Talent Show, which is produced by the FT Talent Team, Aya Al-Shihabi, Noor Hafez, and me, Virginia Stagni. Our podcast producer is Todd Van Luling. Our editor and sound engineer is Arturo Ochoa. Our video producer is Enrique Zecca. And our social media producer is Letizia Clementi. Our music is by Dennis Kishuk. Check out all of the Talent Show episodes at fttalent.ft.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow FT Talent on socials for updates. Until next time and keep listening.